Hey, welcome to The Scrum, WGBH's politics podcast. I'm Adam Riley. You're about to hear a conversation Peter Kadzis and I just had with Yawu Miller, the senior editor of the Bay State Banner, about a big promise Boston Mayor Marty Walsh made recently. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that Walsh, like Governor Charlie Baker, has been consistently supportive of the recent protests in Boston and across Massachusetts in response to the killing of George Floyd by Minneapolis police officers back in May. While the mayor has condemned violence and destructive behavior, he's also backed the protesters' right to make their voices heard, even during the COVID pandemic. And he has made it very clear he is sympathetic to their cause. But recently, Walsh went further, pledging to make Boston a national leader when it comes to racial reconciliation and justice. We are listening. I am listening. To the voices and the messages of our black neighbors, who are harmed by systemic racism every single day. As elected officials, it's time to listen and learn and keep those voices at the center of the conversation, not just for today, not just for the next week, not for the, just the next month, for our entire careers. It's time for us to roll up our sleeves, work together, work together to get some real work done. I am committed to making real change. I pledge my commitment to making Boston a national leader in healing the wounds of our history and building a more just future. So Peter and Yahoo, who between them have just a massive amount of knowledge about Boston politics, past and present, got together with me virtually to talk about Walsh's pledge, the pushback it's generated, and what it might actually take to make that promise a reality. What was your reaction when you heard those comments from the mayor? First, um, it was, he had to say something at that moment. Um, there's, there's so much pressure on him from, you know, first of all, activists who are marching and demonstrating. When you have that many people in the street, you have to say something. But also, you know, I can only imagine that he's aware that public opinion in Boston and the United States has shifted somewhat. Um, city council meeting where they were talking about defunding the police, uh, you had a ton of people calling in. Um, and then, you know, lastly, you have a majority of the city councilors who are people of color um, and, you know, a very strong uh, response from the city council uh, to ideas of reforming the police. And then on the other side, he's got these police unions, which, you know, over the last seven years have kicked like, you know, more than $400,000 into his campaign coffers. They're, you know, a considerable voting block, and uh, they're not shy about making themselves heard in City Hall when, you know, they kind of flood the council chamber. So, um, you know, he's got different constituencies, and I think that, that you know, that, that announcement was kind of broad and lacking any specific details, like, I will do X, Y, and Z. But, you know, from a political standpoint, it's the kind of thing that, that uh, a, uh, an advisor would tell you you have to do, you have to say something. You are not the only one, of course, to point out that the announcement was broad and lacking specifics. Michelle Wu, the city councilor, after the mayor made those comments, tweeted, aspiration isn't good enough. We need actions and plans. We need a budget that reflects our priorities. She continued, early steps, Boston needs an independent civilian review board 
with subpoena power to investigate police misconduct. Here's what we have now. And she went on to link to an article from your paper, The Banner. Lydia Edwards uh, told The Globe, I don't need pledges. I don't need hashtags. I don't need ideals. The mayor has the power to make immediate and complete change right now. What do you think changes would be that would indicate that the mayor is serious about this broad ideal that he expressed a commitment to? Yeah, I mean, the Independent Civilian Review Board is something that the St. Clair Commission report said was needed in Boston um, back in 1992. And people have been asking for that um, since before then. And, uh, um, you know, Menino, uh, who was mayor, um, you know, shortly thereafter, always resisted it, and Walsh has has, uh, said they don't need it. The the board that they have, the co-op board, lacks any real power and can't conduct its own investigations. It can only review investigations, which were already conducted by the Boston Police Department, and people think it's a joke. As a reporter uh, who deals with the Boston Police Department, you understand that there's a lack of transparency, um, you know, from records requests, uh, requests for data on the internal workings of the police department, like how many black officers are disciplined or, I mean, you know, city councilors and, uh, you know, civil rights groups have asked for information on police and policing and not gotten any. Uh, an independent civilian review board would be a concrete step in the right direction as far as creating more uh, transparency in what happens in the department, sort of at least in the disciplinary process. Yeah, I mean, I, I um, would favor the word accountability over transparency, but that's a quibble. Um, look, both uh, WGBH News and our uh, colleagues across the street, WBUR, um, have been stymied by the Boston police who will not answer our requests for um, uh police video from the demonstrations and protests or a list of um, uh, complaints that have been filed against the police. Um, It's just Stonewall, which is business as usual. I just interject that to to help reinforce the point. Well, of course, the BPD, as I understand it, their explanation is, oh, we can't give you that stuff because there's an ongoing investigation exemption in the state's public record law and we're in the midst of investigating these complaints and what the officers may have done so uh you know we we just can't provide it as ed mcmahon used to say you are correct sir the you know the i think the underlying issue is that the the police operate as if that laws that govern the rest of us aren't applicable to them so that you know even though they're city employees they're public servants um, they they, uh, they act like they're not accountable to to um, to the public in Boston, and that's true. I think in most places around the the, the country, and I think that's what um, people are trying to chip away at um, in Boston and elsewhere. Is is sort of um, police officers are people too, right? They're not um, they're not these kind of sainted uh, uh, or saintly uh, um, public servants who you can't ask anything of them. It's a culture of impunity, right? I mean, I think what, what we've been bumping up against over, over a, you know, for a long time is that the police function and, and as if they believe themselves above the law, that um, laws that apply to public servants do not apply to them, 
that, um, you know, that essentially they can do no wrong. There's a culture of impunity in the police department. And as journalists, when we're asking for, you know, uh, things that we think ought to be, um, you know, that the law would say, you know, they should turn over to us information, um, just simple things, uh, we run up against that wall. And I think that's beginning to crack. I think that, that um, at least uh, when you have, um, you know, the, the number of city councilors who are asking hard questions um, doing so, and, and you're seeing it happening across the country, I think that, that that wave is hitting, you know, in Boston as well. Well, listen, the police are immune in every community across the nation, with the possible exception of Mayberry, where Sheriff Taylor, you, you know, seems to preside over, uh, you know, an avuncular operation. But I, I think to get back to Boston, in, in a political sense, what we're seeing is um, the political scene. I'm not talking about the voters yet, but the political scene has cleaved into two camps or is in the process of sorting itself out. You know, there's the party of the mayor and then there's the, the party of the city council, which is really... Um, the localized version of the Congresswoman Presley coalition. So in figurative terms, we have Marty Walsh versus the forces of Presley. And as Adam mentioned earlier, Wu and Edwards are among the most visible. And um, I I would include increasingly Andrea Campbell in that. I wouldn't underestimate the mayor's ability to um, set an agenda, but neither would I underestimate the the city council's ability to set a counter agenda. Let's go back to the congressional race a couple of years ago. There was a key moment in retrospect when um, incumbent Capuano was asked what he thought of uh, NFL players taking the knee. And that revealed a small, subtle, but important difference between um, Capuano and Presley. There are going to be many moments like this, especially during the defunding debate, where there are going to be gestures and symbols that will communicate to um, different constituencies. So where do you see the defunding debate that Peter just mentioned going? I mean, Yahweh, you talked a second ago about what a big deal an independent civilian review board would be and how long people have been pushing for it. But what are other big changes to the way the police operate and the way money is distributed to the police that you think we're likely to to see take effect as this all plays out? Last week, we, we were watching the city council um, hearing, and they were talking about grants, uh, a federal grant and a state grant that come through the police department and then get redistributed to um, to community groups to fight crime. So um, Shannon Grants was the local grant um, that goes to anti-violence uh, initiatives, but it goes through the police department. And in both grants that they were talking about in the city council, the police department keeps a portion of it. Some of it goes into overtime, some of it goes into the 
Youth Violent Strike Force, which is one of the most hated units um, in the police department because they deal roughly with uh, kids who they suspect of being in gangs and also other people such as myself who had a run-in with them. And uh, they, um, the fact that the council's like taking this on and saying like, you know, this money, we're going to reject these grants. This money should not be going through the police department. It should go directly to the groups. I mean, that's major. I mean, I think we're, we're I mean, we're looking at a $414 million budget. We're kind of tinkering around the edges with like, you know, a million dollars here, a million dollars there. But I think uh, moving forward, though, I think there's there is a, a debate that should happen, um, and it's something that you know people have been saying, you know, black elected officials and um, you know have been saying for a long time that you know a, a lot of the money that's going into policing should really be going into prevention. So that's the debate that's happening at the city council level um, as they're deba debating the budget. And I think I imagine it, you know, that, I mean, I, we do see it happening across the country. Yawu, can you describe your interaction with the youth violence strike force? I was um, in my late 20s or early 30s. I was driving through the South End on West Dedham Street. I was wearing a jacket and tie. And when they pulled me over, they said, you know why we're pulling you over, right? And I said, was I driving too fast? And then there were some expletives, and basically they said, "Don't get cute." And then at that point, I just, you know, you know, I remembered that um, that uh, the columnist for the Herald, Joe Fitzgerald, had mouthed off to a stadium and got like three um, moving violations. So I just kind of clammed up at that point. But they asked me questions like, "When's the last time you were arrested?" And you know, called me Ralph and like other things. And I had no idea what was going on, but it was you know, it was a little intimidating when a, a, a marked cruiser came by and sort of like slowed down, they just said, yeah, we, you know, you, you know, gang unit or youth violence strike force. And the cruiser left and I kind of wanted that other cop to, to uh, stick around, you know, cause these guys were, they were rude. They were, um, it could be intimidating. Right. And, uh, and I, I had no idea what the interaction was about after they left, uh, I didn't get cited for anything. And, uh, you know, it's just, they, they, um, they, I mean, if they were rude to me and I was wearing a jacket and tie, um, you know, I've heard horror stories from teenagers who they, who they interact with. And I've, I've talked to people who've been misidentified as gang members by the youth violence strike force and then subjected to, you know, sort of weekly harassment. Um, and, uh, so yeah, they're they're um, getting some of this this funding, and you know there's a real difference between what how the police see the youth violence strike force and people in the community see it. Geez, I didn't realize that jackets and ties were the new gang attire in Boston. But look, a real point of pressure here is the Boston City Council. Um, I watch snippets of the what I'm calling the defund hearing. You know, where dozens of some activists, some citizens were talking about cutting the police budget. Um, and then I watched yesterday, thanks to um, Yao's um, Twitter feed, you know, a, a great short video of this massive humanity uh, in front of the Roxbury police station in Nubian Square. A couple of counselors 
admitted to me privately that while they are not in favor of wholesale budget cuts, I mean, they, they want reform and they want money moved around, but the, the, the mayor's not the only one who finds himself in a tight spot. Um, one counselor said to me that um, they had a sense that the crowd if you will, would have no compunction on turning against any of them if they didn't meet all their demands. It's interesting that yesterday, Mayor, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Governor Baker said that um, uh, in a very Baker-like way that, you know, he doesn't truck with slogans and rejects the defunding I idea. Vox.com, the um, very wonky um, but very insightful policy site last night published a very interesting story that suggests that the solution may be more police. Uh, and there's two reasons for that. More police properly deployed will cut down on what, what crime there is in neighborhoods. And more cops on the street properly trained will keep more eyes on the bad apple cops. Now, it's important to note, though, that crime across the nation is way, 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 way down. And I think there, are, there is some merit to arguments that some communities are over-policed. But I haven't had a chance to absorb, to really think through the Vox piece. But this morning on uh, national news, Congressman Claiborne, you know, one of the most respected members of Congress, um, was talking about um, uh, the danger of cutting police budgets. And I think we'll find a sort of division, and it may be um, not unlike the Bernie Sanders division within the Democratic Party between um, older people like, say, Baker and Claiborne, and Baker's a, Baker's a center Democrat, you know, <laughs> let's not kid ourselves, um, between people like Baker and Claiborne and, and Mayor Walsh and all those very young 10% uh, defunders that uh, gathered in Nubian Square. Um, am, I, am I wrong? I, I only saw through, you know, the eye of your iPhone yesterday, but that crowd looked very young. Yeah, it did. It did. I mean, one, one thing, though, you know, that was as part of what's happening now, you know, go back a couple of years to Rachel Rollins uh, running for Suffolk County District Attorney. She won in a, uh, was it a five-way uh, Democratic primary? She was the most far left um, on criminal justice policy and uh, you know that that indicates there are a good number of voters in Suffolk County um, who are in favor of a reform agenda for the police. So that was kind of an early indication. These uh, demonstrations that are happening across the country and even around the world show that uh, that it's not just limited to Suffolk County. That that um, people want to see reform all over. Um, you know, I, I would say in response to Vox, which I've not read that piece and not digested it, that um, there's also a strong argument to be made that um, investing in things like the Department of Children and Families, 
uh, you know, way upstream sort of getting to kids before getting into families before, um, you know, bad things happen to kids, uh, that, that, um, you know, that is a good uh, deterrent for crime or a good way to prevent crime. And as Peter alluded to the politics of anything that calls for increased investment are going to be really difficult to navigate right now, even if there's reason to think that the policy impact will be beneficial. I mean, Peter, for that story you and I worked on, on the body camera situation in Massachusetts, as you know, um, yeah, well, I don't know if you've seen this piece or heard it, but we, we talked to Shagun Itawu, the co-founder of the Boston Police Camera Action Team, who'd been pushing for increased adoption of an investment in body cameras just a few years ago. And he said in no uncertain terms, um, right now, I'm not interested in seeing the BPD spend more money on body cameras. I, I am on board with the push to take money away from police departments. And, you know, maybe if they could shuffle some funding around and and put a little additional money into that while taking away money on balance, maybe that'd be okay. But that's not really the way I'm thinking at this point in time. And that's a big obstacle. Adam, that that was a very telling moment in your story. Um, Look, the Boston Patrolman's Union has back themselves into, in unions all over the country, have just backed themselves into a corner. And um, I don't think they're going to be able to come, you know, cut through the opposition to them. You know, someone asked me via email the other day, you know, does Marty Walsh really need the the police union support and they've given him as a, a lot of campaign contributions he said it's not that he needs their support he doesn't want their opposition well my email correspondent pointed out what's the police union gonna do vote for edwards vote for campbell vote for Wu. it'll be tricky but walsh has a club to rein the union in now whether they'll listen to reason is is another issue. Again, your story about police cameras pointed out that Marty Walsh, the union mayor, went to court to force police cameras onto uniformed BPD members. Only back in 2016, which feels like a lifetime ago now. It was a lifetime ago. I mean, I'm not being snarky. I mean, it was a completely different reality. One thing that we're also seeing in this in this uh, at this moment is, um, you know, for the last eight or nine weeks, while everything's been on lockdown, uh, Walsh has been, um, you know, like a wartime president. Um, but this this is this is putting pressure on him. The other thing that we noticed in that time is that back in March, Michelle Wu was like like rumored to be weeks away from announcing a run for mayor, and um, City Councilor Andrea Campbell was widely seen to be mulling that and her rhetoric, Campbell's rhetoric during the coronavirus uh, stay at home order, um, you know, all that was kind of muted. And now like the volume's been turned up. Um, You know, will we see an announcement from one or both of them in the next couple of weeks? Possibly, I mean, this this policing issue might give them an opening and uh, the increased willingness of the council um, the increased willingness to, to take on police unions, the increased willingness of voters to back hardcore reform agendas that were unthinkable 10 years ago. 
I really cut my teeth realistically in Boston politics when I was 21 years old in covering um, the school desegregation in Boston, which was fraught with riots and street confrontations in, in, a, in an incredibly high level of racial tension between the white and black communities. Um, I have some fear of that reoccurring. Um, mitigating that fear, however, is that I see the divide over defunding the police or moving their money around as a split that's likely to be much more generational with older voters, um, more traditional Democrats, if you will, um, taking one side and younger and independent voters taking another. So I do think there's some insulation for a high degree of racial polarity, but I do worry that it will return. And that is going to do it for another installment of The Scrum. Big thanks to Yawu Miller, the senior editor at the Bay State Banner and one of our very favorite Scrum regulars, for making time to talk with me and Peter. And as always, thanks to you for taking the time to listen. Subscribe to the Scrum, rate us if you have a couple minutes, and please talk back to us. You can get us by email at scrum at wgbh.org or find us on Twitter. Yawu is at Yawu Miller. Peter is at Kadzis. I'm at Riley Adam, and our producer, Zoe Matthews, is at Zoe S. Matthews. That's Matthews with one T. I'm Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.